Welcome back to Night Shift Football, back from an international break for episode 133. This week, two big boys battled at the Etihad, but did it live up to the hype? Chelsea humbled by a ruthless Newcastle, and poor old Ange finds himself in a slump as the Gunners go top. All right, let's do it. Joining me once again, Tommy. How you doing, mate? You feeling refreshed after a, a brilliant international break? Oh, re-energized, ready to go. I can't. Oh, it's such an arduous break. I cannot. Why are there so many of them? Yeah. Is this now the longest period that we don't have one throughout the season? Uh, it it might be. Cooper's probably the man to ask about that. He's shaking his head. He's going to intervene here. I no, haven't introduced I'm, him I'm, though, so don't talk. You haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper's here as well. Hey, man, he's back from going uh, full Liz Ellis, as he calls it. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good, Sam. How are you? Excellent. Are you going to tell us now what the yeah, international break? Um, I am. I did see, I saw a, a TikTok. I was going to send it to you before. Um, it was, you know, when David Luiz scored that goal for Brazil and he was running off like a maniac to the corner flag. It was like my reaction when someone tells me there's no international break for four months. Four, four months? Four months. How's anyone going to qualify for anything if they don't play? Well, um, I just, I, yeah, I welcome it. But why have we stuffed three into three months if we've now got a four-month span without one? Why didn't we just use our brains and spread them out? I don't know. And it's an interesting, uh, I guess, we didn't really schedule in a spot to talk about the Socceroos qualifiers. I think we could probably curb them. They're pretty straightforward, I think. But someone made the point of why aren't we like, why aren't you playing the youngsters in this? You know, you should be starting Yangi, starting so-and-so. And I tend to fall the other way where I don't think you don't get enough time as a team to play together. You can't just pick whoever you want and then hope that when you put all the best players in, when it comes to crunch time, that they're going to be able to perform together. So I kind of get, you know, get it from that sense. It'd be a tough job coaching an international team, I think, and then having a four month gap and then getting these guys back to play together again. You just, I feel like you'd lose so much, but yeah, I'm not sure if you've watched the, uh, if either of you watched the Matildas documentary on Disney Plus, but uh, in one of his speeches at the a first camp of a year, Tony Gustafson talks to the girls about. It. He said, "This is this is our first of seven weeks that we'll get to spend together in this entire year leading up to a World Cup." Yeah. So when you do look at it in in hindsight, that's not a lot of time. Yeah. So like when we come out and we play like Bangladesh or who, whoever. You really, we got to put the guys who are going to be playing when we play the better teams. They need as much time as they can together, I think. I don't know what you think, Tommy, but... I wholeheartedly disagree with that. We're playing Bangladesh and Palestine. Like, who gives a fuck? Play the kids. And, uh, like, beside that point, I don't really think James McLaren is going to go to an Asian Cup, nor do I think these good enough to lead the line over the next World Cup qualifying campaign into the uh, World Cup. So I, I think the line you're looking for there is you don't want Jamie McLaren to go to an Asian Cup, but Jamie McLaren is going to go yeah, to an Yeah, that's, that's what you're looking for. And yeah, with an, possibly. With an Asian Cup, it's not about who we're playing now. It's more like Sam's saying, with an Asian Cup in eight months' time, you'd be the first bloke to ask why why Arnie hasn't got these boys playing like they've played together yeah. before as soon as we get to tournament football. So well, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to do that much anyway. They just sit behind the ball and play on the break. Like how much chemistry do you need? Fast guys run, we bomb it over the top. It's pretty simple. Yeah, you're bang on. They sat behind the sat behind the ball and scored seven goals in a game. So 
Oh, yeah. yeah, against a glorified under twenty three side from just, like a developing nation in the third world. I don't know Congratulations. Who, they, who do you who do you start everyone against then if you're not starting them against Bangladesh? Do you say it's because it's just Bangladesh? But like, you know, then we get to the Asian Cup and we play someone good, and those guys, mm. none of those guys have played together. To you know, to me, these are. These qualifiers, right, because you have teams coming out like desperate to you get Bangladesh, they're desperate to win a qualifier, right? Because they can set themselves on this on this breaking journey. So to me, it's these games where you play your full strength 11s. But when we go to Wembley and play England and everyone gets all super excited, but the game actually means fuck all, that's when you play the kids. That's interesting because I see it. If you're playing a better opposition, surely that's the opportunity to get the good guys together and say, hang on, this is like if we're going to play Japan or Iran or whatever, like this is the kind of stern opposition that you're going to come up against. Well, my point is you don't have enough opportunity, so you do it at every chance you get, which would mean qualifiers against Bangladesh and it would mean friendlies. Are Uh, you saying we need more internationals? I'm saying I don't think playing for your country should just be dished out caps like for the sake of it because we want to give this young kid a go. I think I quite quite enjoy the Pim Verbeek, Holger, Osik rain where they were just like capping A League players left, right, and center. I say there's not enough of them, but I don't want more. If anyone's <laughs> listening from FIFA, and I know they listen, we don't want more international breaks. It's okay. We're just, you know, from a coach's point of view. Anyway, that was a random chat about Australia that we didn't plan on having. Uh, we were going to jump straight into the Premier League, so we'll do that now. The first game of the weekend. Um, a big battle at the Etihad between Manchester City and Liverpool. Uh, I'll go to Tom first before I get your serious thoughts on the game, Cooper. Uh, but did this live up to the hype, Tommy? Oh, another victim of the shitty early game or two top two sides, too scared to go after each other and ultimately content with a point. I thought this was rubbish, plain and simple. And Liverpool especially, like they, they were just so disappointing, offered very little in terms of entertainment for the neutral and uh, possibly only the point will quell the noise from the supporters, I'd say. Fair. Cooper? Yeah, I'm not convinced it was anywhere near as bad as Tom thinks it was. Um, I just think this is what we get when when we get big six teams, or not big six, let's say big three or four in this league playing against each other. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because, to me, this isn't because it's a matter of happy to take a point against each other. It's, it's This is very reminiscent of what Sam and I talk about on, on the Reds. And and I think if you're Liverpool and, and you go to City, you try and win a game, but you just can't lose. because And we've seen so many times in the last few years, if, if, this, if Liverpool lose this game and go four points behind City, this title race could be over. Like you can't, you can't go to the Etihad and lose these games by trying to add entertainment factor and value and, and, and trying to play liquid football and win. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. And I think, you know, I, I think Liverpool were poor in this game, but I also think it's, there's been a lot of talk this week about how Klopp's done so well. A lot of talk about like Rice, how good he's been coming in for Arsenal and certain midfielders coming into teams. But Klopp has changed this entire midfield in one summer. And when you play these well-oiled machines like Manchester City, you're gonna. There's gonna be times where they are just severely better than you. And and I think but, 75 minutes was a case of this in this game. But surely um, Liverpool winning this game, if they could, um, is way more beneficial than getting a point from this because you would assume that City are going to accumulate more points against the rest of the competition than Liverpool would. And so, wouldn't you want to go out with a little bit? more emphasis on a victory perhaps 
I, I think it's just from the from the standpoint of the way the game set up, I don't think Liverpool's first 25 minutes was a we can't lose this. I think Liverpool went to the Eddie had to win. But once you go down 1-0 to City away from home and you're chasing an equaliser for what was the next 60 minutes of the game or for 55 minutes, whatever it was, it just changes the, the perspective for the team completely. I thought the... um. I don't think it was a horrible game. I didn't. It wasn't a, a belter, but I thought it, I found it intriguing enough that I couldn't really turn away from it, and I it was kind of I was pretty invested in it. But mainly, I think um, the disappointment with Liverpool comes. I thought they they did enough to create, especially in the first half, some pretty good counter attacking opportunities where they had the city defenders backing off, ball on the edge of the box, too afraid to shoot, and then they'd put it wide and then kind of try to recycle it and play a few passes around by then city is set up. And then once you play it backwards, they get their press going again and it makes it really hard. Then all of a sudden you're passing it back to Allison, and then he's having to pump it. Um, I thought they probably just could have taken some more shots, you know, and we finally see Trent works himself into a position to get a shot from around the edge of the area has a gamble scores. Um, I'd just like to have seen them put a bit more pressure on. Otherwise, yeah, it did look like city were just kind of just, slowly grinding them down as the game went on, grinding and grinding and grinding like they do. And I thought that Liverpool were going to cave and concede that second or third one anytime soon, but uh, Trent got them back in it. Um, Grinding like a newly single girl in the nightclub. Fair enough. Yeah, I think the way I described... The way I described the Liverpool performance when I was talking about it with a few friends watching the game at the time is I think we were pretty toothless. Um, And I think you're spot on. It was was very much... uh, get the ball in the final third and piss around with it. And there's been a lot of talk this week and a lot of a lot of shit rained on Darwin Nunez this week about yeah, how he took four or five chances and, and just took shots and made rash decisions. But, dude, I was all for it because I think every time we've played this City game and, and we look at – the one I look at is when we beat them 4-1 um, the year that we just fell short of the title, the, cent- the Centurions year. Um Oxlade Chamberlain from outside the box, Sulla from halfway, Bobby Firmino from outside the box. You know, you just, this team is so well structured. You can't melt it down. You can't walk the ball across the goal line against this team. And every time there is an upset in this league against Manchester City, it is some team scoring some crappy goal on the counter where they've just thrown everything forward at the one opportunity they've got and they've just had a go because you can't be too perfect against this team because they are too perfect themselves to allow you to do that. Mm. Yeah, I'd only say Brentford are probably the only ones that have figured out a way to. This is when they've got Ivan Tony because they've obviously got the the manpower up front for that. They're probably the only ones that have figured out a way to go toe to toe with them in a sense in order to beat them with their own game. But I think you're totally fair in saying that. You're. It's f- funny you bring up the Centurions season and you mentioned like uh, Bobby Firmino and Mane and stuff like that. Your the front third of Liverpool at the moment is nowhere near that level. But the midfield is far superior than what it was at the time. And so I'm just curious as to if you were going to try and beat City at their own game, possibly this is like the best way to do it because you've got that strong midfield three in order to combat any kind of um, press, so to speak. So like you can play through and create better opportunities for your wide men. And it just it didn't materialise. I thought Salah had an okay game, but he wasn't at his mercurial best. You know, Walker seemed to do a decent job in him. He just wasn't able to find the space that he usually does. I think he still created three or three chances or something in this game. But, you know, his <clears throat> his off performance definitely contributed to, you know, the toothlessness in front of goal. I I don't see 
where this David Nunes renaissance is materializing. I, he doesn't look like the guy for me. And I'm happy to be proven wrong, but his compilation of misses this season on top of his poor performances, I I don't know. He's He's got flop written all over him. It's just that little bit of uh, finishing quality that's not quite there at the moment. And the chances are coming, but he's not taking them. Uh, we've talked plenty, I think, about Liverpool in the last few weeks. So we might leave that one there if that's okay. Either of you have anything to add to that? I just, the one thing that I said I thought that you two might disagree with me was I just wanted to get opinions from you. It's been talked about heavily since the game, the 2000 Allison during this game. Um, I'm trying to think. The first one, the one where the ball does end up in the net. That everyone's well, making a big deal well, ends, about. ends up in the net twice. The first is one it? is more of a more of a, a goal than the second. So the second one, he actually makes the catch and then he's just bundled over the goal line and falls in. And I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. That's the foul, yeah. The, the first one is the one that is being talked about more, which is the one where he drops the ball. And, yeah, um, foul. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people think it's not a foul because the contact is so minimal and Allison should still catch the ball anyway. Don't put your hand as, on the keeper's As soon shoulder. as you put your hand on the just arm or the shoulder of a goalkeeper who's trying it's to play the ball, it's going to be a foul every single time. It just is. Like, except it's, except it's, it's, not, it's not a foul every single time because we've seen myriad uh, examples over the years where it's not a foul. So On goalkeepers? It's, on goalkeepers, yeah. I mean, there's heaps on there was heaps on Twitter during the week of different examples of goal. Like, do you want to bring up leads? Go for it. Ilan Melier got against Spurs last season, got clattered by Perisic um, and Harry Kane stroked the ball into an empty net. Play on. And like, this was way more, way more. It was a Kanji, wasn't it? Who went up with the hands up. I just like you said, he, Allison drops the ball. Like he should be, and this is 25 years of cotton, you know, uh, wrapping goalkeepers in bubble wrap. These guys don't know how to fucking catch the ball under pressure anymore. I don't think he has done anything uh, to like influence him dropping the ball. It's not it's like, okay, if, if it is a foul, fine, but it shouldn't be a foul. Like uh, when you go up to head a ball, your arms go up in the air. That's just what it is. But it's not. The goalkeeper, actually, has, the adv- the goalkeeper hasn't the advantage of catching it with his fucking hands. Like that should not make I him just, spill the ball. I just love that the conclusion you've drawn is that goalkeepers can't catch anymore. They can't. No, not, under, not can't. under pressure. They not can't. Under pressure. Come on. Doesn't seem like it. Well, they always punch in those crowded situations. And if you're going to call that a foul, when he has done very, very little to influence, I mean, the ball slipped through his hands for Christ's sake. Gonna, he didn't I'm pull his arm down. Evidence. I'm going to need he evidence. He didn't pull his arm down. I want a case study. I want evidence. And I want I want it submitted to the website within the week. All right. You know I'm a man short of um, time, so this and, isn't going to happen. <laughs> behalf of all listeners as well. No one gives a fuck about Leeds, mate. All right, so we'll move it on. <laughs> um, West Ham beat Burnley 2-1. Two late goals there. Burnley just can't be affording that at home, 1-0 up, um, conceding those sorts of goals. Suchek, I think it was a set piece again uh, that undoes them. You just can't be having it, Burnley. Uh, Luton 2, Crystal Palace 1. Cooper, would you like to? I think we've let you apologise a couple of times now, but I'm going to let you do it again. You need to apologise formally to the, the Hatters. You're going to um, let him, but then you're going to tell I'm him. Ma- I'm, I'm making no permanent apologies because this football team is still getting relegated from the Premier League this season. But Huge. nice to see them win their first game at... Um, Was it nice? Do you mean at- that? No, not really. It's a shithole. Why'd care you say it? Why'd you say that? it if you don't you know, mean Because there's so many sentimental people in the world of football that love to see this fucking backyard football club succeed. And I, for one, cannot wait to see them relegated and Us. never come back. Sorry, they're not... So you hate poor people is what you're saying. <laughs> 
Sorry, sorry, not every football club is owned by uh, the Fenway Sports Group or you know, that owns the Red Sox in Liverpool or or an Arab, you know, multi-billionaire or a Russian oligarch. Sorry, man. Sorry, or they're a just a lowly. <laughs> sorry, they're just a lowly community football club for you. No, not having it. <laughs> um, and Everton stay up. Everton are good enough to come back from this point deduction. Just a quick note, and they will be the team that put Luton into the relegation zone. Bad chance. Interesting. Very good. That'll do for that. Uh, Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. Jeez, uh, Tommy, Newcastle were pretty ruthless here, weren't they? Weren't they just? Uh, like That's such a raucous stadium, St. James' yeah. Park, when they're up and it about. Um, and this, they drew comparisons between, I think Pep even come out and said it afterwards, that they needed the City crowd to do more to, like, galvanise the team. And then when you... You know, you compare that to what St. James's Park does for Newcastle. That's it's it's just unreal. And in that that period where they score two goals in two minutes, um, the the you know, if there was a roof, is there a roof? I don't know. Absolutely lifted as Thiago Silva loses the ball on the edge of the box, and Joel Linton hits a ball as hard as anybody has hit a fucking ball from about ten yards out. I love to see that venom, that bit of pepper. You um. Do you mean a roof as in like the the dome in Melbourne that completely covers or just like a normal grandstand roof? Because they've got no, that. Like a, they've like got a that. proper Like a proper roof. All the way over it. Yeah, all the way over it. I feel like you know they don't. Like Rod Laver Arena. That's what I'm talking about. When they retract sure. it all. Um, the Joel Linton goal, it just reminded me so much. I actually laughed out loud when I saw it um, because... <laughs> It felt like the sort of goals you can see it on FIFA where they could just place <laughs> yeah. it. They, the computer never places it. They power smash it in whenever they feel like it. Um, Pippa, what have you got for us on this? Chelsea, pretty, pretty rat shit, really. The, the confidence of Joel Linton to punch that one in after he missed a completely open yeah. goal from four yards prior as well. Nuts. Um, Thiago Silva cannot be starting football games for... For a club of Chelsea's standpoint in 2023, he was absolutely fucking atrocious in this game. Not only did he make the mistake on the Joel Linton goal, he gave away, um, he fell over the his he fell over the ball and gave away a corner, trying to be too fancy right on their right on their own byline. And the resulting corner was actually the wide open goal header that Joel Linton missed. So he could have punished him twice in this game. He was absolutely dreadful. Um, yeah. Reese James was awful too. And yeah. I am a I'm an absolutely massive Reese James fan. And it's it's great to see him back playing football. He is he is the best defensive right back close to in the world, definitely in the Premier League. Very, very, very good player. Oh, very man. good player. Most well, I thought I, I thought I was the one with the stupid takes. Well, Reece James, what are you James talking is about? The, you cannot give me a right I back. I like him too, but that's better than Reese James. There is not a right back in the Premier League that's better than Reese James. Why you Pascal Gross man? is doing a good job. Why are you doing my man dirty? Who's your man? You know who my man Tommy is. Yassi. My man from the beginning of this pod in the early days, Kieran Trippier. Come on, dude. No, Kyle Walker? It. Defensively. No. He's better defensively than Kyle Walker. Reese James is the just, best right back in the Premier League. Just stop. No, I, I, 100% mute I'm in agreement. He's better than Trent. I like yeah, Reese James Reece, too. Reese James is a better fullback than Trent Alexander Arnold. I like Reese James as well. This is outrageous. He's he not better than Kyle Walker or Trippier. 
I disagree. If if Reese James had been, I think you can put it this way: if Reese James had been fit for the last twelve months or the last twenty four months, he would have started in the England team. Yeah, but it's the reason that he's not fit is the why well, is, well, that's he's what not saying. that good. This is what I've just said. I just I don't said know how we can even get to this. Pitch. It is great I've... to see him back on a football pitch because of how good he is. I don't know if we can not... have this discussion right now after the performance he just put in on the weekend. Yeah, well, did he, he get he sent was, off? He was a he did. He got sent off. He got sent off. Yeah, and after just, giving the ball away, I just really hope <laughs> that this isn't like going to be the beginning of this guy has spent so much time off a football pitch that we're never actually going to see him recover to the standard that that we all know that he's capable of providing. Yeah, um, I want to just. Uh, go back just a second to the Thiago Silva thing. A lot of chat from uh, Chelsea fans, especially about, and others, about Thiago being probably their best defender so far this season or their most consistent. That may well be the case, but does is that still good because you're, you're 10th? So has anyone is, been good? Like, Is there yeah. a point to being a... a... If Thiago Silva, who's had the career he has, isn't a better defender than Benoit Badia-Shield, then I'll eat my fucking sock. What do they expect the bloke to do? <laughs> They, You've always had a foot thing, eh? They need, <laughs> they need now he wants to, to eat socks. <laughs> genuinely be a better football team. This back four on the weekend of, I, I mean, obviously I love Rich James, but Thiago Silva, Benoit Badiashu, and Marco Correa, that's disgusting. It's gross. That is atrocious. It is. And it to is. Me, Where was Colwell? Well, Colwell, Colwell? Colwell's on the bench and comes on yeah. in the 75 minutes, so I don't understand why he's not started in this game. Um, Axel de Sassi, also the same thing. He He's been preferenced by Chelsea all through the start of this season. If he's fit, why is he not playing? Who's actually mm. a better player than this guy? Obviously, they will get Fafana back eventually, who is going to be, the, I assume, the first choice centre-back. But yeah. just lots of strange decisions. And I don't know if it's because people have come back from international breaks late or whatever. But I mean, you're not spending you're not spending a hundred million pounds on Moises Caicedo and, and not playing him in a game against a team that is in the top six of this league. Yeah, um, good shout. Uh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I've, I, were you going to wrap it up? Because I was just going to say, I've never no, seen I was talk Sterling. To oh, okay. Uh, on Chelsea, I've never seen Sterling take a free kick before, uh, let alone score nice. a perfectly hit knuckleball. <laughs> it was good. Goal. He's nice having a good goal. season. Question, He's having a great season. Good question player. for you. If you're Raheem Sterling and you score that free kick, and then not long after you get your team gets a free kick in the exact genuinely identical position, and you pick the ball up and your captain walks over to you and says, Nah, mate, cough it up. This one's me. How offended yeah. are you? You're letting the guy that just pumped one in from that exact spot have yeah. another go first, aren't you? Every oh, time. Walk off. And who was that captain? <laughs> who was that captain? Who was that? Who was it? Silver? I'm pleading the fifth. Who, who was it that went and took the ball off him, Cooper? Your mate, the the best right back in oh, universe. Reese James. Reese James. <laughs> Tom actually didn't know that Reese James was Chelsea's captain. No, because hasn't, Conor, hasn't, hasn't, he hasn't, hasn't Conor Gallagher worn the armband? I was looking at the squad like Well, because Reese James was injured. But now that the best okay. fullback to ever play the game, according to Cooper, is back. Um, if I can just talk Newcastle again, in fairness to them, because we seem to do this each time they knock someone off as we talk about how bad it is for the other side. But uh, they're going strong. And I'll just reiterate this injury list at the moment. It's Ven Botman, Jacob Murphy, Elliot Anderson, Sean Longstaff, Callum Wilson, Matt Target, Dan Byrne, Harvey Barnes, and obviously Sandro Tonali. That's all the players they have out at the moment. And a 4-1 win at home over Chelsea. I think they'd be absolutely thrilled with that. Um, the way they were hunting... Together, just like I, I know the stats ended up fairly even, but they uh, and they got two goals from Chelsea mistakes. But that just comes from the pressure that they build when they when they flip that switch and they hunt together, especially Joel Linton. 
when he starts pressing, he just seems like such a monster and they work so He's well a together. Yeah. yeah. A great no, assist really... as well. Sorry, Tommy. A great assist as well for the first goal from um, Lewis Miley, 17, exactly what I was say. 17 yeah. years old, born in 2006. Playing oh, that's fucked. Midfield. That's fucked. No, that was a great ball, hey, that threaded pass for your sack. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Beautiful. He looks a good player, that one. Yeah, big win. Um, So... Just while we're on Newcastle, uh, Champions League this week, they've got PSG away, and oh. they currently are the bottom of the group, but it's still like yeah. a win could put them top. Like it's all pretty tight at the moment. So all to play for in that group. How do we think they go PSG away this week? Yeah, yeah I think I think they lose, and it's potentially with, with Dortmund going away to Milan in the same group. If Milan get the win at home, it could be nail in the coffin for Newcastle. Mm, I wouldn't be wanting to try and predict anything between Milan and Dortmund. I think they're both basically the same club in two different countries at the moment, <laughs> the way they perform. It's an absolute roller coaster of a ride. I watch them every you reckon, week and it's a disgrace. You reckon nil-nil, Sammy? Uh, Dortmund, Milan, it could yeah. well be, yeah. Yeah, two pretty... It feels like nil-nil. Two pretty lackluster sides there that are still somehow competing in their league. Uh, Nottingham, two, Brighton, three... Tommy, you're not happy with some refereeing in this one. Yeah, you fucking bellend. I hate it. I hated it. I just, I can't understand where we're going with football, where every minuscule touch on a player, especially in the box now, how heavily scrutinised it is. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago where these would just be play on. There's no way a referee in the middle of the field, pre-VAR, is looking at these minor infringements and thinking, oh, yeah, that's a pen. Let's change the entire game. Let's give, you know, notoriously hard to score a goal in this game. I don't have to say it. And we're just gifting teams opportunities for nothing, absolutely nothing. I thought the first pen was, was it the Brighton one? I thought that, mate. I thought one, two, Brighton. Penalty. I thought that yeah, one, two, Brighton. I think it's... Yeah, that one definitely has arms on the shoulders. And I mm. tend to think, like, soft as it may be, I just don't know why defenders need to wrap their arms around an attacker yeah. and put their arm over their shoulder. Like, you just ask for it. Same as the uh, Kanye on Allison. Like, don't put your arm on his shoulder. You don't need to. It doesn't impact anything. So just don't do it. Mm, maybe. I mean, that was more of a jump. This, this one is he is wrestling him back. But the, the Nottingham Forest penalty is is a disgrace. I mean, they're running into the same direction. There's the slightest contact. They both could have gone down. And then who do you give the foul to? Yeah. Like, it's just because the one goes down in a screaming heap, they decide to give the pen. It makes no sense to me at all. There's a lot yeah, of guesswork. We're, we're slowly making it a lot harder to defend in this in this sport. And I'm not sure if it's a, a complex of, of those at the top want to see more goals and a more entertaining product, but we're Probably slowly is. making it easier to attack and, and harder to defend. I'm not sure if any of you saw Robin Van Persie on Sky during the week make a comment saying that this season so far he's seen multiple penalties given for things, the challenges and instances that, that he was probably carded for diving when he was playing 10 years ago. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He's, he used to cop a lot of bookings for no reason, RVP. He did. He got <laughs> sent off against Barca once for having a shot on goal as pretty much as the whistle went and the refs called him for time-wasting. Should have known he was offside. Just yeah, um, good result for Brighton though. Big um, result for Brighton. They needed that. Yeah, it snapped what six games without a win, I think. And uh, Deserby was quite pleased with it. 
so much so that he refused to shake the opposite the opposition manager's hand so he could go celebrate. Well, he just oh, oh sorry. They just he just sprinted <laughs> off, sprinted off towards the fans. No, no shaking hands near the bench. He just he legged it straight away. Um You were so disgusted then the with the lack of sportsmanship. The <laughs> yeah. It was making me sick. Making me sick, it was. Uh, Lewis Dunk. Is he an idiot? Is he a bellend? Um, yes. No? Yes and yes. no. Like, but Yes. Yes. You can't do it. <laughs> you, you know that if you're a foot away from a referee and you call him a fucking bellend, that you're probably having an early shower. And he just booked you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the best part. Is he's just copped a yellow and he's like, you know what? I'm going to exacerbate the situation and call you a fuckwit. <laughs> Straight Did red? We, um... Yeah, did you see? Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, straight yeah, red, straight oh. red. Yeah, which gave, reminds me of if I can just touch real quickly. Did either of you see the Sergio Ramos incident on the weekend? It's very <laughs> yeah. it reminds me so much of this. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it, Sam. Oh, we're we gonna talk. Are you talking the red card? Yes, we're gonna talk about it later. We can talk it now. Yeah, um, Ramos is red. Just yes or no. Oh yeah, um, but I just think the the way okay. it happened is so hilarious. Just I just. How he's- He's begging, begging the official to go and go and check the bar screen. And, no, and when, the, when the ref come back and waved it off, and, and Ramos has done that little fist pump to turn around and cop a straight card, yeah. it's very just. Um, yeah, that's one of those tackles. Lots of people at the moment, like, ah, oh, you can't do anything if it like it's the ones we. That's the exact tackle we've been talking about with the studs high above the ankle. It's like shin level. You just you can't do it, Sergio. Come on, man. Um, so we all agree on that. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. The game's changed, but he's been around for so long that the game has literally changed throughout the entirety of his career. So when he yeah. started, yeah, sure, do that kind of thing. But now, unfortunately, bro, that's a poor challenge. <laughs> you can't do it, man. Unlucky. <laughs> um, what was next on my list here? Just referring back, uh, Sheffield won Bournemouth three. Bournemouth, um, sorry, Sheffield, their own worst enemy here. Absolute howlers at the back and. You just cannot afford to be the bottom team in the league and give away goals like they're giving away and giving them away to teams that they may well end up fighting with down there. Are Bournemouth down there? They're a little bit above now, but... I think they're gone now. They're probably clear, I'd say, Bournemouth. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. They're, you're only one or two results away still. Only, it depends on... Oh, geez, I'm just looking at it now. And Sheffield a third bottom. <laughs> Not bottom. Yeah. God, this league is so shit. It's so shit. Like, I'm looking at it and thinking 13 games in, so we're a third of the way through and they have one win. If they win two more games for the rest of the season, Bournemouth still stay up. Yeah, there's... there's, God, I don't know. There's six teams in this league that are averaging a a point per game or less. Yeah, it's rotten. But yeah, Sheffield, you just can't afford that, especially at home. Um after they just got their first win and all those scenes the other week after that penalty that got them the three points and then to be doing this, you just can't do it. Brentford nil, Arsenal won. Uh, Havertz is probably the king of the world, I guess. So that's all we really need to say on that one. Or 60 million down the drain. I don't know if either of you saw this, but uh, Ramsdale was back in goal for Arsenal. Mm. We've talked about whether or not, uh, how convinced are we that David Ray is the right guy? to be in goal, what does he offer that's better than what Ramsdale does? Ramsdale in the first few moments of the game nearly gives a goal away. Uh, does end up with a clean sheet thanks to some defensive heroics, but he played his part as well. So uh, big three points. Arsenal are top of the league and we're not really going to talk about them, but 
Yeah, seems, no, seems strange. Have, have you seen the um Sam particularly? Have you seen the Aaron Ramsdale interview with with Ian Wright? And there's there's someone else in the interview. I can't remember who it is, but Ramsdale's talking about playing during games, and he said the, the, his problem as a footballer and as a goalkeeper is that he's never been able to concentrate for ninety minutes, and that <laughs> during games Same. he will just completely and utterly lose concentration and start watching things that are going on in the crowd and and join in with songs in the crowd. And he goes, "There's times where I find myself will have a corner, and I'm completely turned around, looking the other way, and not watching what's going on in the game because I just lose concentration." And Ian Wright looked like he'd seen a ghost. Like he was yeah, like this, like, this, this, this guy's guy, in goals. If this interview goes, in the Premier League, if this interview goes public, he might have just finished his own career. <laughs> yeah. I think it's been well noted. His like full blown ADHD. He just can't keep it under wraps. Um, he's got the ball at his feet there, and he looks like he wants to do twenty different things at once. And he he's not good enough. Just kick the ball, bro. It's fine. So just he does, the ball he the does nothing. Obviously, I just this um... this whole thing of goalkeepers having to play out like. Sure, when you can, like it's not that hard, really, to pass a ball to a player's feet. And if you're under pressure, just kick it hard, kick it long. Doesn't matter. That's where your midfield need to be winning it. So who cares? Um, moving it on, Spurs one, Villa two. It's falling apart a little, Cooper, for our mate Ange. He's in a little bit of a slump. Yeah, he's experiencing the the Spursy when the Spurs get Spursy. Um, now they they've been so. I don't want to. Ange simp and and Tottenham simp here or whatever, but they have been so hard done by with with injuries and their team is just disgustingly depleted to the point that we saw um Brian Hill in midfield for this game with Giovanni Lacelso. Um and Rodrigo Bentoncourt was probably the best central midfielder in this lineup and actually had a good for a pretty good first half an hour, was probably the best best midfielder in this game for the first half an hour, and then was absolutely mauled by Matty Cash. That was an atrocious tackle. And honestly, I wouldn't have been offended if that were upset if that was a red card. That was one that I genuinely thought he could seriously have broken his leg just then and he could have gone for that. But the ref's gone yellow and, and VAR looked at it and it obviously wasn't clear and obvious to the point that it had to be overturned. And so we get one of those unfortunate scenarios where Matty Cash plays on and, and, and Rodrigo Bentancourt does not. Yeah, Matty Cash is kind of like embodying uh, the entire Prem's tactics in the opening stanza of this Prem season is that we don't have to beat Spurs at football um, if we just mercilessly injure their entire squad. Like that, it's a rotten challenge. It's disgusting. And, you know, after he picks up the yellow, he puts in another couple of niggly ones before he's subbed as well that could easily have been second yellow. So, uh, yeah, that kind of thing just baffles me. Like I'm a huge fan of a strong challenge. Go through all the pods. I love it. But that that's not the way to do it. Like, that's gross. And, you know, Bentecourt, he is injured, isn't he? He's done, like, serious damage, I think. Like, he could be out for months. And that's the whole reason that we've brought in this soft, soft, you know, modern football is to stop shit like this. And so it just it makes no sense when you see one that is so glaringly obvious that gets passed on and everyone just has to, I don't know, fold their arms and think, okay, well, what could have been? Yeah, for sure. Um, and to go away from the tackle and, and back to the football as well, Spurs could have been had three or four quite easily. Should have had three or four in the first well, they, half. They of did this have game. three. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Son put the ball in the net three times inside ninety by himself, all disallowed for offside, and they all, they all were. None of them were really that yeah. close. Um, True. Yeah. That the Ange clip I sent through today of Ange turning around going fucking hell was uh, his response <laughs> so to good. conceding a, a conceding from a set piece to a Pau Torres header. 
um, seven minutes into injury time in the first half. That is a proper coach killer, isn't it? To concede, oh, yeah. concede from a set piece when you're seconds away from going into the break. You just, you've got to do everything you possibly can to make sure you, you take that lead into the break. That may be on Ange for not playing a centre-back in this game as well. I mean, yeah. how are you going to deal with aerial threats? Like, <laughs> it's a weird old lineup he um he he pulled out in this one. Who who's he got? Well, Eric I mean, Dyer. It's Eric Dyer, and I mean, he was atrocious in his last start, so I can see why he's gone away yeah. from it. Um, we read out Newcastle's. I'll just read out Tottenham's. Their list, obviously, adding Betancourt to it now, but Brian Sessegnon, Richarlison, uh, Solomon, James Madison, Ivan Perisic, uh, Mickey Van der Van, Hugo Loris, uh, Alfie Whiteman. Uh, Basuma was suspended and so was Romero. That is, there's a lot of starting players that would you'd say would be in this team. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a I saw something on Twitter during the week that oh sorry not to, to to do it again X I saw something on X during the week um, that both Newcastle and Spurs had six players unavailable from their round one starting lineups in this game and were only a third of the way through the season. There you go. And one team's still smashing other opposition. So what do you take out of that? Does it does it say more about Newcastle and Tottenham or more about Chelsea and Aston Villa? <laughs> yeah, potentially, given Villa are fourth now. Um, we don't really... I mean, we have talked about Villa, hey, and we've said how yeah. good they are. I think um, we all like them. Yeah, they were pretty poor, I thought, in the first half. But, like, credit to Emery for turning it around. A couple of well-managed subs, um, you know, really changed the game. Um, you know, if only half of Spurs had been kicked to death, maybe... Andrew would have had a similar opportunity, but you know, you know, bringing Leon Bailey on and stuff like that, that really, it does invigorate, you know, a kind of different performance. So credit to them. I thought yeah. they scored a couple of good. They goals. haven't been without, they haven't been without their issues either with um, mm. selections missing Tyrone Mings, Traore, Zaniolo uh, and Buendia. So uh, Courtney House as well. So um, yeah. Yeah, they've they've got their fair share. Not the same as Tottenham, but they're the squad they've put together. Yeah, we've talked about it a few weeks this year. Um, good squad, just fun squad. Just just wanted to say on Villa. Did you see the stat that they've caught opposing teams offside uh, since Emery came in a hundred and sixty three times? Wow! Yeah. And the next the next most is Liverpool with like a mere ninety three. And then you get a situation there where Son scores a hat trick, then they're all ruled out. I mean, this is just elite high line defending. Um, which is the kind of thing that I thought may have gone to the wayside with, um, you know, the passive offside and that kind of thing. And, you know, the VAR drawing yeah. the lines and all that. But, like, it's really it's really cool to see, like, um, to be able to persist with this kind of thing. With two of these goals, Human Son is going to be very disappointed in himself because... Two yeah, of I was these, about to say that, yeah. Two of these three occasions are they've a, an attack that started with a Son effort that has resulted with a save or a block and then his team have recycled the ball and he quite simply in two of these occasions has just not worked hard enough to get himself back on side. He's been lazy on multiple occasions here and if he'd just been one or two more steps back in line, he still would have had the same opportunity and he would have been on side. So he just... Especially the I, second one. I know one of them, a, a lot one of them the player who passed it to him was offside. Yeah, anyway. so one of them wasn't him. So he's, he's standing there and his mate is offside but he's still ahead of him. And still yeah, calls is. for it, and still calls for it, and puts it in the net, and goes to wheel off. You're like, come on, mate, read the room, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> they also butchered a ton of chances, Spurs as well, like legitimate ones. There was about five that I counted. New doggy had a good one. There was a couple others. Son had a couple of good chances where he was onside. This this game could have gone very differently. I yeah, liked the, it though. The Ollie Watkins goal was, was 
picture perfect counter-attacking football as well. And that Yuri mm. Tillemans ball and, and the Watkins finish, it's fantastic. Superb. Yeah. Uh, Everton nil, Manchester United 3 has gone up to scored the goal of the season or perhaps the decade or perhaps the century or perhaps for all of eternity. Yeah, and for all of time to come. Look, it's yeah. spectacular. It's, it's a great finish. It's, it's a great obviously. The, uh, it, like, it's kind yeah, of it's a loose bad. ball. It's kind of a loose ball into the box. Um, he loose ball? What? It was a loose ball. It was behind him. So, like, yeah, that's, it's, a, uh, it's a, still aiming. For, it's a cross aimed for him. It's a loose ball. It's, it's, a cr- it's a cross if he doesn't do the spectacular that just dribbles outside of the box and goes to nobody. Um, I personally, I think he's violated the fluke to good goal ratio. And this, you know, if you, if you draw the axis up where, you know, X axis is fluke and Y axis is good goal, this sits very, very comfortably in the fluke areas. Um, he, Garnacho, from my perspective, has done very well to save what would have been a poor cross if he didn't make this. He has every intention of scoring with his bicycle kick. Did he mean to put it right in the top corner? But probably not. He probably just was going, you know, if I can get this on target and see what happens. But no, it's the best goal we'll see all season and it'll probably win the Puskas. Oh, Got the Puskas, you reckon? At the moment. How could you so, you so you guys rate bicycle kicks over... Like a, a really well orchestrated team move, or like no, a but, no, but a forty yard it. dapper. When do they win them? When does the team move win it? It's a good point. It's a good you point. Know? But um, what about a goal from forty I'm, yards? I prefer a good team move. Uh, mm. Well, a forty yard one. Are you going to call that a fluke? Not really, because I think if you Come statistically, on. if you did it He's out of hundred times, spot. you're not picking a spot. You're hitting it. I reckon if you gave Ganacho another ninety nine times, he doesn't score that. Well, that's what's so special about it, though, isn't it? But that's why it sits comfortably in the fluke area. Oh, and do, <laughs> to move on from Tom's utter nonsense, um, what are we? There's been a lot of talk about his celebration. <laughs> um, he's copped a lot of hate for scoring the best goal he'll ever score in his life, and one of the best goals we'll see potentially this decade. And then running off and doing someone else's celebration, and, and not something of his own. Um, but I also noted that if I'd scored this goal, I would have been probably either a naked or B would have just pissed myself on the spot. So <laughs> do, do whatever you want, son, <laughs> or three both. Yeah. Why did he cop? Why did he copy Nicholas Jackson? celebration it was so weird to me <laughs> a young united player doing a ronaldo celebration people need to find more stuff to talk about i think if that's upsetting them um i personally thought rooney's was better if we're gonna compare them. oh i was about um, to say no rooney's uh, comes off his shit you wonder what you, you think, think this that, was a fluke? you think this is a fluke but the one that come off some bloke shin pad is isn't is better i'm more impressed how that fat lump of meat managed to get off the ground and <laughs> orchestrate something like that oh if you're going to probably compare them, I really like um, Benteke's for Liverpool against Man United. You are crowded by the You are going to cop so much. I don't know if he still, <laughs> I hope he still listens to this pod, but a certain Adam Leach, Wayne Rooney is like his number one. Like, just, <laughs> you're going to cop it this week. You're the going best to cop bicycle kick I've actually ever seen, um, and I don't hear it talked about far enough, is Omre Chance for Liverpool. Oh yeah, back away oh, from yeah. The against Watford from the top of the box. Yeah, against Watford. Yeah. No talk of uh, yeah. Miko Miko Boland for Adelaide United. Adelaide United, Martin. Martin. From about two on... yards. Two could yards you do it, out. Could you do it on a on a warm Tuesday night at Martin? I, <laughs> was, it, was it warm? I'm not sure. Um, probably. I feel like I was wearing a jacket. Couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> good win for United. They had to get it done. Uh, they maybe. I wouldn't say they got lucky with the pen. It was a pen. Uh, they just had to kind of grind this one out, though, still. 
not the most, it's hard to say 3-0 wasn't convincing, but Everton dominated the shot count. Yeah, I mean, 50-odd minutes between Manchester United's only shots on goal, which were both, you know, goals, which made it 2-0. I just, these guys, I just, they're so diabolically bad. They've got to be the worst form side we've ever seen. I yeah. just, I'm not impressed whatsoever. And what does that say about Everton? Who have just winning. been, they've just copped 10 points. They're at home. You know, th- th- there's a fiery atmosphere. Everyone feels like they're hard done by as an Everton fan, even though one, they've cheated. And one, they've been, oh, two, they've been rightfully punished for it. Like 10 points is probably a slap on the wrist given the, you know, the other deductions te- other teams have gotten over the years. I, t- I just, I don't, I don't see why Man United are so good or why they're winning, but I totally see why Everton are losing because these guys suck. They should have scored. Like that Decore chance on 33 minutes, he has to bury that. Nothing, nothing else. I thought you were going to say something back, Cooper, but that's fine. Um, just on United, finally, Thursday morning, they play Galatasaray away. Uh, well, we've played four Champions League games now, so two to go. Man United at the bottom of that group. Uh, they're on three points. Galatasaray are on four. So are Copenhagen. Don't worry about Bayern Munich. They're often gone with four wins from their four. What's what's happening here? Are they getting out of this group? Are they going into Europa? Oh, I so hope they, they win don't. Thursday morning in Turkey. I hope they don't get out of the group, but they probably do. I think this is how many times over the years have we seen like a a really good team slumped at the bottom of a group after four games, but they get kissed on the dick because the other because two of the other three teams just quite simply probably aren't good enough to be going through to Champions League knockout can't stages. Get enough points, they yeah. just can't do yeah. it. So they've got um, oh, they play Galatasaray away Thursday, but then their last game is home to Bayern Munich. And I'd, it's hard to know what sort of team. I'd imagine Bayern, having still wrapped up the group, probably still put out a team to win this game. Uh, but who knows? Remains to be seen. A tough tough few weeks coming up there for United in the Champions mm. League. So did did say from the outset that they wouldn't qualify, and I stand by that. Did you? Yeah. I want to go back do. and listen. I want to go back and check because you've you've been on a real uh, nonsense train tonight. I'm well, we had a week that. off, so I've got, I've got a lot of shit that I need to get off my yeah, chest. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bullshit. Uh, Fulham three, Wolves two was the last game of the Premier League round. Tommy, do you want to take us through this one? You're a bit unhappy with some of the refereeing. Oh, what do you yeah. know? No, I, the game started really well. Like there was two nicely worked goals to open the scoring for both sides. Um, Belgard uh, for Wolves, like the first goal was really nice for Fulham as well. But Belgard uh, in particular, some lovely wing play set up Wolves' equaliser, like twisting the defender inside out, standing up this perfect ball for an easy finish at the back post for uh, Cunha, who was suspectly unmarked. I don't know what was going on there. But after that, it just descends into chaos a little bit. There's three penalties in the game. The Fulham one that they concede um, is extremely clumsy and like Ream really fortunate not to receive a second yellow for it. The Wolves ones though, gee whiz. Like, it's hard to wonder if there is actually a coordinated vendetta against this club, given the amount of shit that's gone against them this season. Um, uh, Gary O'Neill post-game came out and said that the referee, Michael Salisbury, apologised to him again and admitted that the refereeing and the VAR got the first penalty entirely wrong, which is where Samedo gets in and, and gets the ball and 
Carney goes over his his legs. Some, I mean, Samato's foot comes over the ball a little bit, but it's it's definitely not a penalty. It's not a foul by any means. And then the second one, the referee waves away the call, and VAR intervenes and finds. I, I don't know. I just have no idea. The defender is he's miscontrolled it in the box, but he's simply standing there, and it's almost like the willingness and velocity of the Fulham player to win the ball back has seen him spill over. And in that situation, at two two, with at, you know, with so little time left in the game, you're going to really decide, you know, three points based on that challenge. It's gobsmacking. Yeah, we're seeing a load more of these penalties where attackers are making efforts to just poke a leg in and try and almost just like put the ball in a spot where where they don't even want it. It's almost like the ball's in the in the penalty area and there's a bit of a scramble and the attacker's actually clearing the ball towards towards the corner flag or the sideline like a defender usually would because they've mm. worked out that if they can get their foot in there before a defender, they're every chance of of getting something on, on VAR from minuscule contact. I just, this, I understand why this, this first penalty has been given in terms of a referee seeing it and thinking that it's a penalty and giving mm. it. But but this second, um, the second penalty they've got in this game, the second full and penalty, there is far and beyond not enough contact for, for VAR to intervene and go, hang on, mate, you've made a clear and obvious error here. Go look at the screen and reverse your decision. They should not even be asking him to look at the screen in this scenario because there is little to no contact and, and it's not an error in any sense of the imagination. He's actually, this referee is, it's, this is a prime example of a referee making a good decision live during a football game and then being brought over to second guess himself. I think we see, I've said it before, I feel like there's this pressure on referees that when they're called to the screen, they're expected to change their minds. Yeah. Yeah, they do, don't they? They get a little G up in that sense, in that, you know, you've been tapped on the shoulder almost by a superior in a sense, and you're like, okay, you've missed something here. Go and look at the thing that you've missed. And if the referee looks at it and still thinks that he hasn't missed anything, it's almost a bigger controversy in a sense because like how we very rarely see a referee walk away from the screen and stick to his original decision. Well, when we it's another example of this, when we see these decisions given right, we've seen audio for decisions released and whether these decisions were right or wrong in the past, but let's, let's go through it on this. Like this is what's happened is the VAR would have gone in his ear going, hold play, hold play, hold play. Um, Mm. Come and have a look at the screen there's there's potential for a penalty here. We want you to take another look at your decision. But then the guy in his ear, it's almost like the job of the guy in his ear is to convince him that it is a penalty. He thinks that it's a penalty. So now his job is to convince the on-field official that what he's seeing constitutes a penalty. So before the ref even gets to the screen, we've seen in this video, he's going, all right, run me through what I'm going to see. And he's going, all right, so we're going to start with this image. This image is the, is the point of contact. You're seeing the point of contact. I don't think this communication should exist. I think the VAR official should be going, hey, mate, I think there's a there's a potential penalty here. Would you like to come to the screen and have another look at it? And then that's it. Run over to the screen, yeah. show him a replay from the start of the play to the end of the play. Don't have an official saying, all right, the first thing I'm going to show you is a still image of the point of contact. And then I'm going to roll it for you through in slow-mo. And then you're going to see a real life version of the play. Send him mm-hmm. over, let him have a look at the replay, start to finish and let him make his own decision. It's that typically, typically the bureaucratic. most sensible thing I've ever heard. <laughs> typically bureaucratic and overcomplicated nonsense from referees. When I talk about this all the time, this nitpicking maybe, but 
you know, when the, the fourth official, you see them make, waving their hands, doing the stupid hand movements and all the time on the bench, it's like really condescending, just convoluted, like just fucking act normal. Referee game's normal. Why do they make everything so damn hard? God, officials. I just, I want to see them act as a team. Like I want them to, all of them work towards getting the best decision, not making a decision that one person thinks is more correct than the other person thinks. I was, like Cooper says, I don't know why he's sitting there looking at a still image before looking at it. Just watch the phase of play. Hit the referee yeah. in the middle. If you show him the footage of the entire phase of play, he's he's going to be able to figure it out, I'd hope. Yeah. You know? That's uh, the thing. With the second one, he, was, he had a great angle. He was so assured in his, you know, non-decision. He shook his head multiple times and said, that's not a penalty, that's not a penalty. And then all of a sudden, he's getting tapped on the shoulder like, no, no, I think it is. And I'm going to show you the worst angle I possibly can. And I'm going to show you an egregious slow motion replay that really doesn't take into the context of the game. And now yeah. you have to give it, please. It seems, it seems, to me, I don't know if you've listened to these clips that they they release and the audio and they go through and they make these decisions. It, sounds, them, yeah. it sounds so panicked. As yeah, soon as VAR gets involved, it is six loud voices in a room talking over each other in into this earpiece while you've also got a fourth official and two ARs that are talking into the ear of the referee. He's listening to 10 people at once. As soon as he makes a decision, he is listening to 10 people at once. And they just all have differing opinions and they all see the game differently. And it's just fucking, it's it's too many cooks spoil the broth because the the one that stands out to me is the the United disallowed goal a couple of weeks ago when um, Maguire's in an offside position and plays at the ball, doesn't get the ball, but Garnacho plays it back across and, and they score. To me, that mm. was, I said at the time, I thought that was the right decision and I still do because he was offside and he played at the ball. But there you go, frame one, frame two, frame three to see which frame is when the ball is kicked and they decide it's frame two. Then it's played in and they go, Garnacho's onside. We'll draw the lines on Garnacho. He's onside. Yep, no worries. All right, we're all good. This is a goal. This is a goal. This can stand. And then you just hear this girl in the background go, hold on, what about red five? What about red five? Is red five offside? Is red five interfering with play? If she's not there, that's a goal that that stands. And, and because he doesn't actually touch the ball or interfere, we probably don't talk about it that much. So I just don't, I can't understand why there's 10 blokes in this box or 10 people in this box and only one of them can figure it out. The whole and, idea uh, ultimately is to, for the referee in the middle to get the right decision. That's you know? it. So it should just be as simple as come look at it, make your mind up, you're the referee. You yeah. tell me what you want to see on the screen and we'll show you, you know? This is why I, I love this AI-generated offside that, yes. that we had in the World Cup and that we've got in some other leagues because, Seria, again, it, it. again, it takes so many more hands out of that VAR booth and, and yep. off what's actually just occurred. If we're going, okay, we don't need the guy that, that filters through frame one, frame two, frame three. We don't need the guy that decides who's interfering with play or not. We don't need the guy that's drawing the lines. We'll just have a computer do this for us and get it right or wrong and we'll move on, then you've perhaps got one or two people in the VAR booth going, hey, come and look. Hey, let's watch this through from the start. Is there any other ways you want to see it? And, and just it just it feels so fucking simple to, to everyone. I think to everyone, this is why it's beyond belief at this point, is because I think every single person in the world can see what an overcomplicated mess this system has become. Yeah, that's the idea of the tech, is to make it simple. And we've made it more complicated. I just, I would love to know how Aaron Ramsdale would go in this situation if he was the on-field referee in the middle and he's got 10 voices just peppering his ears. Probably just take the earpieces like, out. 
<laughs> Goes and runs into the crowd. He's like, I think I prefer it here. I'm overstimulated. <laughs> baby driver. That's him. Um, baby referee, they'll call him. Nice. Oh, that's it for the Premier League. I'm just going to do a bit of a wrap through the European leagues. If you don't mind, I'll start with Spain. Uh, Girona dropped points on the weekend, which means they're now second. They're equal with Real Madrid. The same amount of points. People go, oh, my God, Girona. No, uh, City Football Group owned Girona. Look at that. One season under ownership, uh, maybe a couple. Um, they find themselves competing right at the top of La Liga. Tommy, you look like you're going to say something. Yeah, did we mention that it's Pep's brother that has a controlling stake in this club? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think we have. Mm, I thought that was very interesting. There um, we go. I, w- I was so stoked to see Girona at the top. And then I think it was you, Sammy, that told me that they were CFG. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like getting makes it's sense. Like getting a huge Christmas present and unwrapping it. And it's like one of those pranks where it's a PlayStation 5, but inside the PlayStation 5 is just like a wooden box of nothing. And you're like, nice. Oh, yeah. I was going to say it's like following... If you're one of those weirdos who follows cycling as a sport and then you find out that every winner of every race ever was a drug cheat, it's just it's pointless. <laughs> what are we doing here? Let them cares? cheat. Let but them yeah, Real Madrid, Real Madrid, Girona, battling it out at the top, 35 points apiece, followed by Atletico and Barcelona. Uh, Ligue 1, our favourite Ligue 1. You used to be our bigger Ligue 1 correspondent here at a time where it looked like other teams might win a league and we might be on again. We might have to send you back out there uh, because... Oh, please, Monaco, dear God, no. Uh, Monaco, went, <laughs> Monaco went into this game three points behind PSG with a chance to uh, really go fighting with them. Uh, they didn't get the result. They lost 5-2. PSG sit top on 30 points with Nice in second on 29. So uh, they're not having it all their own way at the moment, PSG. But again, we're only 13 games in. I think we said this last year where it, it just ends up being the case. It's the same in Germany where it just... There's not enough. All the other teams are going to take points off each other. Eventually, the top side will amass too many. So mm. PSG sit top. Uh, nice Nice has an, an interesting record here because they're unbeaten in the league. Mm. They've only scored 14 goals in 13 games. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's <laughs> not a conceded. fun watch. No, not... it's like a one nil to the Arsenal throwback. Yeah. They're, they're not a particularly fun watch. I'm just trying to see what they... They won one nil on the weekend. To Toulouse. So uh, Leon's say. woes continue. Leon still sit bottom. They lost 2-0 at home to Lille. Uh, they are just a disaster at the moment. So Could seven, they go down? seven points Oof. they're on. Seven Oof. points. It's it's a disgrace. Uh, Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, uh, the top four teams actually all had pretty important wins this week. Stuttgart won, Bayern Munich won. Borussia Dortmund came from 2-0 down at home to win 4-2. And Bayer Leverkusen, Zabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen. I think I feel like this is everyone's favorite second team in the world right now. They're top of the league, playing incredible football. They're two points ahead of Bayern. They're yet to lose a game. Eleven wins, one draw from their twelve games. So, just you just love to see it, don't you? It's, you it's exceptional. It. It's exceptional. Yeah. Italy, big weekend. Uh, thirty-one goals. So average is that? What's that? An average of just over three per game. In boring old Italy, no yeah, way. Yeah, boring old Italy. Goals per game, Italy, you got to get around it. They were everywhere this week. Uh, Empoli, Sassuolo, we talked about in our group chat this morning. That was a seven-goal game, but kind of shit. <laughs> like just two <laughs> crap teams just scoring shit goals against each other because neither could keep them out. Roma had a nice 3-1 win. Paolo Dybala back in the team, and he just – he is a star. He's genuinely, he genuinely is a star in this league. And I think one of the commentators described him as like the jewel 
in Roman's crown or something at the moment, which is, I think, fitting. He he runs the show there. Juve played into in the Derby d'Italia and not uh, a little bit City City Liverpool, this one. Not the blockbuster it could have been. They rarely are these games in Italy anyway, the two top teams. Uh, we were we were grateful to get two goals in it. Vlahovic and Martinez, the goal scorers. We had a bit of our chat in the group chat this morning about um, playing two up front. And Italy, they do it a lot. They play the 3-5-2. If you've got fullbacks or the wingbacks that can do it, and if you've got two deadly strikers, and we love it when the strikers link up, don't we? So Chiesa linking up with Vlahovic, uh, Marcus Turam linking up with Lautaro Martinez, good old-fashioned striker play, scoring the goals in Italy. Yeah, um, to, can I can I quickly just note, Sam, as well, Lautaro, 13 goals in Serie A now. Yeah. Six goals, six goals clear of Domenico Berardi with seven, who's second on that list. Yeah. But, um, his, his strike partner, Marcus Turam, uh, leads, leads all counters with six assists in the league too. So yeah, strike partnership is doing bits for for Inter Milan. But yeah, he is... laughed at me when I put Lataro in my my best of the world last season. He is elite. Who laughed? Everyone online. This is a shout out to all the anonymous <laughs> people that thought I was an idiot. I'm, a, I'm actually convinced that if we if we still made five aside teams with only one striker in it, and you put Lautaro Martinez as your striker, I'd probably still giggle because there is multiple better options. But he's a phenomenal <laughs> footballer. I believe last year. Did you really? I feel like you would have gone Osimhen. No, I didn't. I went Latara because I thought you were going to go Osimhen. No, that's fair enough. No, I did go Osimhen. Uh, oh, well, there we go. Um, Inter still sit top. Two points. They're a great chance to to kind of pull away and make a little bit of a gap here. It didn't happen. AC Milan, I'm not sure if you saw this, had a 15-year-old debutant come on. Uh, I've lost his name right now. Raucous applause from the crowd. They were so stoked to see this kid come in. He doesn't look 15, though. Like, he looks like... He looks older than Cooper. Francesco Camada. There's been a lot of, like, a lot made about it this week because they have a lot of injuries and players out at the moment. Rafa Liao... Uh, Ismail, Benacer, Caldara, Pellegrino, Kalulu, Simon Kier, and Olivier Giroud was suspended for a straight red. So, uh, for abusing a referee last week. <laughs> you call him uh, a bellend? Doing a Lewis dunk. Yeah, whatever it is in Italian or French, I think he did. Um, but what I thought was interesting is Kamada comes on at 15 years of age. Luka Jovic is yet to score a goal for Milan. He was the striker up front in this one. He had a couple of chances during the game that was saved uh, by Terciano, the Fiorentina keeper. And then when Jovic came off, he actually looked thrilled for Kamara to be coming on and was like, gave him a big hug and was like real happy for him and stuff. And I just thought that was, um, it's nice. I find that interesting in the modern game with given the egos on footballers and stuff. And given that this is a 15 year old that's coming on up front to replace you and you still haven't scored for this club you've just joined. So um, yeah. There you go. That's Italy. Maybe he was thrilled not to have to be relied upon to score anymore. He's like, here you go. The burden is on you, 15-year-old. Yeah. Take it. They, Milan got the win in the end because Teo Hernandez was decided to stay up front for a little bit and he ended up being fed a through ball and he won a penalty, which he then took and scored. So the left-back captain getting things done. I reckon that's all we got this week. That's it. Oh, 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 I just, I just wanted to shout out one thing. Cooper um, doesn't know de- anything we've talked about for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm surprised he's still here. Hey, he shared the Bologna meme before. Um, the the death of Terry Venables during the week. Oh, during the week? Yeah. Yeah. Don't usually get too wrapped up in celebrity deaths or football deaths or whatever. Uh, but this guy had a 
at the you know just as I was getting into football, he was the the manager of the Socceroos in that that crazy Iran game or throughout the qualifying campaign, but in that crazy Iran game where we end up losing two one and we don't make it. He then eventually makes his way to Leeds during possibly the worst season Leeds United have ever had. Throughout that, though, he was always a guy that I, in my mind when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I, always, I want to be a football manager. I want to do this. And he was always the guy that I wanted to try and emulate. And so to see um, the, out, like the outpouring of emotion for Eltel this week on Austra- in Australia and in England and stuff like that, you can't really overestimate the impact he had in Australian football. Just given what he did, he was like the first international manager really to come in and show us what can happen if you actually open up to Europe and try and bring the guys in. And I have a good feeling that if it wasn't for Venables, we would never had Gus and we would never be in the position that we're in now as a footballing nation. So that that kind of thing really got me during the week. So rip Terry Venables. Good stuff. Some, a wholesome finish. I like it. Um, stick around. We're going to record a red edition. That'll be out this week. Adelaide had a great win away to MacArthur. That'll probably hit your feed sometime, maybe Thursday, I would say. We put the the Europod out tomorrow. So tomorrow being Wednesday, we're Whenever recording that on Tuesday. Is. My brain Whenever is fried. I'm, we're, you said MacArthur and we beat the it was yeah, it was Western United. Western United, MacArthur, same thing. Both should same fold. Shit. They shouldn't exist. My brain is fried. <laughs> um, also, we're doing a podcast where we record it and I can put it out whenever. And I'm telling listeners tomorrow, and <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Like whatever. All right. You, have, you haven't mentioned up. yet. You've got COVID either. I, I do have COVID. So can I use that as an excuse? For yeah, I think you, you should. Look, you'll get it when you fucking get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get the pod when you get it. All right. You heard it here first. Bye.